0: Oh, it's great to be here it is always a privilege to be able to stand before you and share the word of god it's always good to see you guys and meet with some of you and it's always good to see my old friends as well so thank you for the invitation and thank you for your warm welcome uh before we flip to our text today uh, i wanted to start with a reflection question now, some of you already know what that is and um, and you know that it is a question that I would like us to have in our minds as we go through the text to reflect upon our relationship with Jesus. So today I wanted to start with this question. Where do you put your hope? Where do you put your hope? Or more specifically for us who are Christians, do you put your hope in Jesus? Do you put your hope in Jesus? And if you do, what does it look like in your life? Today we we will be studying from Colossians chapter one verses three to eight. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip to that. That's Colossians chapter one verses three to eight. As you're flipping through that, I wanted to tell you that some time ago I heard a story that uh, a study was done in the nineteen fifties and involved putting rats in a bucket with water and see how long they could swim before they would drown. So the test measured that the rats would swim for about ten minutes before they go into the water and and drown. And I know it's a cruel example, but what they found out in the second part of the study is that if you take out the rats from the water three times within those first 10 minutes, afterwards, when you leave them in the water, they would be swimming for much longer. Now, anybody anybody care to venture uh, a guess? How long they would swim in the water in the second experiment? Well, I can tell you, they swam for almost 60 hours. That is two and a half days. Why? Because what they did by taking them out of the water and holding them in their hand for a little bit before putting them back in, is they introduced hope. So the the rats placed their hope on people rescuing them from the water. It motivated them to persist, to swim longer. Hope. Hope is what Paul wants to remind us of and reminds the Colossians today in this opening of the letter of Colossians. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The hope that stirs our hearts as we continue to live faithfully for him. And so Paul opens the letter and he says this. He he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid out for you in heaven. Of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow beloved minister. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So Paul opens this letter with a thanksgiving. He says, we thank God for these things. And what we can learn from the thanksgiving is whatever Paul is giving thanks for is probably very important. And he's giving thanks for this, for hope. Now, a bit of background for us as we open this book of Colossians today is Colossians was not a church founded by Paul. It was founded by someone called Epaphras, which is mentioned in the thanksgiving. And it was located in a city Called Colosse. Now, this city, in, in, in many years ago, uh, received a lot of immigration and, became, and because it was a commercial center. So, at one point, it was called a cosmopolitan city. And while all died down by the time that Paul was writing this letter, a lot of the culture, the religion, the social value influences remain in the city. And so, Paul writes to the Colossian church because word has come That the church was facing challenges, influences from people that were teaching things that were from culture rather than from the gospel. So these false teachings were obviously wrong. But they were teaching things like this, for example. Very serious mistakes that Jesus was not enough to restore their relationship with God. In other words, they were saying the gospel, the cross, the resurrection, all that stuff was not enough. So for these false teachers that believed this, it meant that they needed to look for other ways, and other alternatives to get closer to God. So they started uh, using additional rituals or keeping dates, even the worshiping of angels so that they could get closer to God. Now we know all that stuff is wrong. And it was clear they were taking matters in their own hands to get close to God. And the result of that? They became more reliant on themselves, more reliant on ritualistic worship, rather than the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul writes to steer them back to the word of truth, the gospel, and by extension to us. We too live in a city like Colossae. Like Colossian. Vancouver is like this as well. We have a lot of influences from different cultures, different religions, different values in society. And much of these things that were influenced are not biblical values. We, too, run the risk of being influenced by them, in particular, as Paul says today, if we lose sight of the hope that we have in Jesus. If we lose sight of the hope that we have in Jesus, we become vulnerable and we become influenced. We need to remember the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, like the rats, we drop into the water. And so Paul highlights three things for us today in this Thanksgiving report. So if you're taking notes, you can write these things. These are the three parts that we're going to touch on today. And the first one is this. He talks about the hope that is laid up in heaven for us. The hope that is laid up in heaven for us. And in the second part, he will talk about how hope is an essential part of the gospel that we live. And finally, he will talk about how hope inspires us to ministry. So the first part, hope that is laid up in heaven for you. The first thing he says in, verse, in verses 3 to 5, he says this, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven and of this you heard in the word of truth, the gospel. So Paul opens the letter and he says, I thank God for you Because the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in you, this is what he's doing. He's increasing your faith. He's uh, stirring your love for all the saints, that is other Christians. And he's reminding you of your hope, the hope that you have laid out for you in heaven. Now, the emphasis, obviously, is very clear, is on hope. Hope is the reason for faith and love. Now, I want to make a quick note here. For the scope of this text today, uh, this doesn't mean that faith, hope, and love, uh, hope is more important than faith and love. Okay? That's not what he's trying to say. The work of the Holy Spirit in us works equally in us in faith, hope, and love. So they cannot be separated, and they cannot be ranked, but Paul is simply focusing on hope today. So by saying that they live their faith and love as a result of hope, Paul is guiding the Colossians and us to think about this hope. So what exactly is the hope laid up for them in heaven? What is this hope that he's talking about? To help us understand, we need to first understand the meaning of hope in the Bible. But unfortunately, as some of you already know, translating that word into the English as hope is misleading because it doesn't do justice to the actual meaning in the Bible. In our English language, when we say hope, we're talking about a desire. The dictionary put it this way, a feeling, expectation, and a desire for something to happen. I hope you have a good Christmas break. I hope you get the car you want. Basically, it is a wish that something will come to pass, but a desire, a wish, may or may not come to pass. There is no certainty. There is no assurance. It is not a matter of who or what your hope is in. Because there's no certainty either way. This is the way we use hope in our English language. And that is why it's called hope. We might hope to get a good job, but we might not get it. Now, I'm want to tell you. going to share this example with you. One time I was watching this happen. But first, I want to ask you this question. Ladies, if someone comes up to you who is angry at you, who doesn't like you, you know he doesn't like you, or your boyfriend, or your husband, and they come up to you and they tell you straight in your face I hope you get fat what are you gonna do what would you do so I was watching this happen and fold it in front of me once I was standing there there was this couple they were arguing and then this guy goes I hope you get fat and right with not even pause the lady went like and I hope you get killed by a car crash today I'm like whoa 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 he just said you hope you get fat you still saying you hope you get it like what escalation like what? so serious why am I saying this? Don't get angry because there's no certainty that you will get fat. Hope is just a wish. It's just a comment. It's like more a comment than an insult. So next time you hear that, don't get angry. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. That is the way we understand hope. There is no certainty. It's just a wish. It may be a mean mean, mean wish or, or a bad, uh, 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 bad wish, but it, it's just a wish. Now, the biblical hope that we have is different. For example, for example, in the Old Testament, hope was understood as part of the covenant and promise of God. What this means is that a person in the Old Testament times, when he has hope in God, he's basically having an expectation for God. An expectation that God would provide, would help, would bless, would protect him. Why? simply by the fact that he belongs to the people of God. God is the object of their hope. God is the source of their hope. They hope in God. And in the bigger scheme of things, that meant that they hope for their relationship to be restored with God, that they hope for the what is called messianic future, which is they hope that God will send the Savior as he promised. Now, in the New Testament, hope has the same meaning and expectation, except now... It centers on Jesus. Hope centers on Jesus Christ. Why? Because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection. And that are, those are fulfillments of God's promises. <clears throat> and so this hope begins from the moment Jesus was born. He is the Messiah hope of Israel. What Jesus did at the cross, the resurrection, ensured the, ensure the hope that we have now. So now all who have faith, who call on Jesus, are ensured to have this hope. Hope is sustained in us by the Holy Spirit, sent by Jesus to guide us until His return. In the meantime, we are looking forward to, with an expectant heart, to the return of Jesus. As you see, there is a difference between worldly hope and biblical hope. Biblical hope is certain. Biblical hope is assured. It will happen. What we hope for is the return of Jesus and a time when we will finally be completed in him. And a time when we will be restored and a time when we will have new bodies and we will live in his kingdom. It will happen. That's what hope means. We are having this expectation because we know that God will not fail us. So, if you're taking notes, that's your first point. Christian hope is assured In Jesus. So why does Paul want us to remember this hope? Why does he want us want us to remember the hope laid up in heaven? It is because he's bringing our attention to the fact that it is future oriented. So we get the sense here, what the sense that we get here is this, that we're now living looking towards the future, looking forward to Jesus' return. He wants the Colossians and us, as saved people, to live with this anticipation. I know that Jesus will return. He is coming back. He is coming back, and we will be completed. Think about it this way. Right now, you, have been in, you are a guest of honor. You have been invited to, to a dinner. You show up, and your dinner already started. But right now, you're in the first course. So you're eating the appies. You're technically having dinner, but you didn't have your full dinner yet. You're still hungry. And your server already told you your main dish is on the way. So you're looking forward, anticipating to this dish that is coming. Like you're anticipating eating the pupusa today. And I was told that's, you know, that uh, is already like waiting there for me. So I'm anticipating that. In that same way, we're anticipating. I know I'm going to. Get Jesus. I know I'm going to be completed. So I'm just looking forward to that. It just is not there yet. So this is the same image that Paul is trying to convey. So your next point, if you're taking notes, is this hope is forward looking instead of backward looking. So forward looking in anticipation to Christ's return. Which leads us to another reflection question. Do you live from this perspective? Do you live from this perspective of looking forward to the return of Jesus? The reality is that many Christians live without this future dimension of the gospel. See, Paul's emphasis on hope is because the false teachers were robbing these people from the future dimension. Remember what we said earlier. False teachers were teaching that Jesus was not enough. And by this, they were saying that in Jesus, there is no hope for the future. The culture of the city tells us the same. They say there is no hope in Jesus. Look for hope in other places. Look at technology. Look at science. Look at other people. Look at your idols. Or even create your own hope from a mix of whatever you want. All they are doing, all our culture is doing to us, is distracting us from looking forward to the return of Jesus. Distraction, that is the major issue that we have in this culture. We're always distracted. Instead of looking forward to Jesus, we're looking down at our phones, right? We don't spend time reflecting because our phones are interrupting. You know, one of the major things that distract us is the push notifications in your phone, right? They come in whether you want it or not. They just show up. Bing! Right? When I'm praying, I hear my phone go all the time. Right? I get you know, updates from the NHL Like at 7 in the morning. I'm like, you know, 7 in the morning? I'm having prayers at 7 in the morning. You're sending me about the game today? You know, or, or things like that, like Instagram. We're always checking. We're always thinking about our phones. Just think about it. When you're having dinner with other people, your temptation is not to be there, is to look at your phone. You're distracted by your phone. We have that problem here. We're distracted by a lot of things except looking forward to Jesus. We need to align our hearts, not to look down, not to look just at the now and the things that are given to us, but to look at Jesus, look at his return, look at what he's doing now because of where he wants us to be in the future. Unfortunately, Christian history is not on our side either. Now, I'm going to spare you a long detail on history, but let me say this. Over the years, the the gospel was reduced. It went from the New Testament times, when they preached the gospel, they said, now I'm saved, and I'm looking forward to the return of Jesus to be completed, to what it is now, a shorter version, which is what? What we hear all the time, now I'm saved, and or where I'm going to spend my life in eternity. In heaven or in hell? That's why movies make fun of it, because people have reduced the gospel, and that's what it sounds like. Where am I going to spend uh, in eternity? In heaven or in hell? So the shorter version that we hear these days, there's no hope in Jesus. There's no hope in the completion in Jesus. It's only about eternity. It's only about I'm saved now. So people get distracted by the world because they don't know that they're looking forward to something. They're just looking at what is happening right now. This version of the gospel without hope really steals from our hearts because we need this hope. We need this hope. Losing this forward-looking dimension is like a child losing an excitement uh, for Christmas morning or like losing the excitement that keeps us awake the night before we go on a trip. For those of you who are married, is like losing the excitement in anticipation for your wedding day or your wedding night. For those, of, for those of us who live without this forward-looking dimension, we're living without our hope in Jesus. And ultimately, losing this hope means losing our ultimate goal in salvation. To live this from this perspective is important. I used to work in an office and manage an office, and uh, there was a few people that used to work with me in that office, and one of these ladies, she would always show up late, like always be late. Always waltzing late, put her purse on on, on on her desk, pull out her phone, check all her messages that she missed on the way to work. When she was done, she would put her phone down, go to the washroom, come back in later, start making her coffee, and then, then maybe sit down and do some work. And I had a talk with this person once. I said, why, you know, all this distraction? Like, what's, what's going on with you? And she's like, well, I feel frustrated. You know, I'm frustrated. I'm tired. You know, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know the purpose of the things that I'm doing. And I'm thinking about quitting because I don't see any purpose in all this stuff. And so I thought, you know what this person is missing? The big picture. So I sat her down, and we were talking, and I said, look, what you are doing now is not just what you are doing now. It's not the task. It might be a menial task, a small task. You think you're doing administrative work, but that work has a bigger purpose. The bigger purpose, and it's a secular office, so we were not talking about Jesus. And I said, but the bigger purpose is that you can help all of us move forward. And at the end of the day, when we celebrate success in this office, you were part of this. You have something to look forward to. That was good for a little while. And then, again, she was doing the same thing. And then one day I said, I'm quitting, and I think you're next on promotion. And she's like, oh yeah, and she started working really hard. <laughs> because she has a, work, a goal to look forward to. So Paul wants us to look forward to this. This is why, the reason why the Colossians had faith in Christ. This is the reason why they love the saints, because of the hope that they know is waiting for them, which is our next point. Hope encourages us to live faithfully in Christ today, knowing that our future is certain. Hope encourages us to live faithfully today, knowing that our future is certain. The interesting part is, the Colossians knew about this. They've heard of this. Paul says in the next verse, he says, You've heard of this hope laid up in heaven from the word of truth, the gospel. And that's our Part number two, hope is an essential part of the gospel that we live. Verses 5 to 6 says this, Of this hope that you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. It does so among you since the day that you heard it and understood the grace in truth. This is our second highlight. Hope is an essential part of the gospel that we live. In the NIV version, if you're using that, you have uh, the true message of the gospel. It's the same meaning. But what is this word of truth? Or simply, what, 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 what is he trying to say with this truth? The expression word of truth has its background in the Old Testament when God is saying that his word spoken is the word of truth. As in the Psalm 119, he says, do not take the word of truth away from my mouth. So Paul is saying this. He's highlighting the contrast between the truth of the gospel versus the false teachings of the church. He's highlighting for us the truth in the gospel versus the false teachings in our society. What the false teachers thought was wrong. It was not from God. And later in Colossians 2, their teachings are referred to simply as empty deceit, human made. But what exactly is this contrast? See, the word of truth contains hope, hope in Jesus. And those who live by faith and live in the gospel place their hope in Jesus. On the other hand, false teachers denied that Jesus wanted is enough. This meant that they denied hope in Jesus. The result was clear. The Colossians' false teachers placed their hope in everything else other than Jesus. They thought they could achieve spiritual maturity on their own. They placed their hope on performing rituals and keeping observances as a way of growing spiritually. They thought that they could achieve fullness by their own means. And Paul says this, Colossians, did you notice that the gospel is bearing fruit in the life of the believers? Did you notice that the gospel is increasing the number of people that come to Christ whenever it's being preached? Do you see the power of the gospel? It was happening in the whole world, which means everywhere the gospel is being preached. And also, it is happening to you. But why? Why was Paul going from hope to the gospel, to the gospel bearing fruit? It's because he wanted to show them the natural outcome of success of the gospel is from the fact that it contains hope. Hope in Jesus. And the Spirit of God is working in us who have hope in Jesus. So, leads us to the next point. Hope is living with confidence that the Holy Spirit is working in us to produce fruit. The Colossians' false teachers fail to see this. They fail to see hope in Jesus. They fail to understand that Jesus is the only way to grow spiritually. That they could not live a full life without this hope in Jesus. So question for us. How about us? Where do we place our hope? Do we place our hope in Jesus? Reality is, some of us do in some contexts. Some of us don't. And the reality is that most of the time, when somebody comes to talk to me about them wanting to grow closer to God, is that they end up putting hope more in themselves than in God. Now, I'm not saying that they don't have faith, and I'm not saying that they don't believe in Jesus, but many times it is easier to take matters in our own hands than to ask God for his spirit to lead us. See, most of us, we know that we, that we can only grow mature if we rely on the Holy Spirit. Most of us know that, but we don't necessarily end up doing that. I want to give you an example on myself when i when i just became a christian it took me about a year to find this out a year okay i didn't know what i was doing that year i was trying to do things on my own so when i just became a christian there was a summer camp like two weeks right after so i went to that summer camp with youth and young adults and the theme of that camp was spiritual fruit and they asked me to choose which fruit you want to pray for in this camp and i said well you know self-control patients don't look pretty good, right? Don't judge me, but that's how it was. They look pretty good. And I said, okay, well, you know, if I'm going to learn self-control, I need to stop saying bad words. I need to stop being so negative. I need to stop swearing. Now, you need to know, I grew up in a country, in a culture that shall not be named today in this sermon, but in this country, we don't really consider bad words, swear words, inappropriate and maybe my friend can attest for me in that We, we don't okay it's just very normal occurrence in daily life and it's very accepted in that so I grew up in that culture and I'm not making this up it's true you can you can ask friends who know people from this country that I'm talking about and you ask them and they will tell you that it's okay to speak like that now imagine when I came here I was 16 so it was already ingrained in my mind when I became a Christian I was 25 I had at least 20 years to practice. So I thought, okay, I got to stop because, you know, I sound really bad. In particular, when I'm in church with my friends, you know, in fellowship, because people don't swear in church. They just do it outside of the church. <laughs> so I stopped. Within that week, I said, okay, that, I'm going to be a good Christian. So every time someone in fellowship said this, and some of you may remember, like a hint of a swear word or something, and got went, like, hey! But in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, thank you, because you know, that makes me relief, you know, sense of relief a little bit. But I was proud of myself. I was proud because I did it. I thought that I did it. And then a year later, I exploded. I'm going to leave that to your imagination. Okay? It didn't work. Okay? It didn't work. I even thought I, thought I changed. I thought I did it. Now, why am I telling you this story? Is because in reality, most of the, most often than not, we put hope on ourselves, our decisions, our plans, our motivations, and we forget. We forget, uh, like Paul said in Philippians chapter one, verse six, that he who began the work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is that God is the one who started the work in you, and God is the one who will finish the work in you, not yourself. He's the one who is going to do it, and he's going to do it. When Christ returns. See, that's why we look forward to Christ's return. I am looking forward to Christ's return. To the day where I'm no longer tempted to speak like that. Because sometimes now, even now, after like 12 years as a Christian and trying to change, I do my best, but somebody cuts me off and they're going to hear some Spanish. I'm just saying. So this is interesting for us. Because we will never come to Christ unless the Holy Spirit prompts us to. Or brings us to. So why would we think that we can, in our own strength, grow in Christ? We need to live in his hope. And furthermore, uh, one interesting part about what Paul is saying is this. Not only is the Holy Spirit going to bear fruit in your life, the Holy Spirit is going to bring people to Christ. He's going to bring people to Christ, not us. We need to rely on him for that. And so what do we do? If the Holy Spirit is the one bringing people to Christ and not me, what do we do? What do we do in the context of hope? We start doing our part by showing other people what our hope looks like in our life. We start living this hope so that the people in this city who are yet to know Jesus understand why we're so passionate for him, why we're willing to give this Sunday morning of sleep and come here and worship. Why we're willing to speak about him and and why we're willing to live like that in a world that says, don't be that way, that is against us. Why would we want to live differently like that? Because we have the hope in Jesus, which leads us to our final part. Epaphras, the guy who founded this church, knows that only God can transform us, and so he's more than willing to give his life to show other people verse 7 and 8, Paul thanks Epaphras and he talks about Epaphras and he says this, just as you learned the gospel from Epaphras, our beloved servant, he is a faithful minister on Christ on your behalf and he has made known to us your love in the spirit. The final highlight is this, Paul describes what Paul describes is the faithfulness of Epaphras' ministry and the faithfulness of the Colossians because hope inspires us to ministry. Now, you may know that almost every time you read the word servant in the New Testament, it actually means to say bond servant, or in other words, a slave servant. This is a metaphor to indicate the negative sense. And, and the sense that people get in the New Testament is a reaction of, this is disgusting. Why are you a servant? See, slave service is the complete opposite of what anyone would want to be in their lives. But this is an accurate way to describe someone who is fully serving in God, fully in this hope. Why? Because of the willingness to give their lives over like a slave to God. This was an accurate description for Epaphras because Epaphras was willing to give his life, sacrifice his life, for the ministry of God. So the question is why? Right? We always think about that. It's not because he has, a call, he, he has a call to minister. That may be part of his call. Many times that's our assumption, that only those who are called to a specific vocation, pastor, missionary, etc., have this passion to live sacrificially for the ministry of God, for his mission. That may be part of the reason. But Paul is showing us that the reason should simply be because we are living We are living the hope in the gospel. The reason should simply be because we're living this hope in the gospel. And because the gospel that we're living is bearing fruit in us. Paul wants the Colossians to remember they love because of the Spirit. They love because of the Spirit of God. What they do with other fellow Christians, what they do with their community, is only because of the Spirit. In First Thessalonians, we hear Paul say, because the gospel not only came to you in the word, but also in the power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. This passion, this love for ministry is not from us. It is from the hope that stirs us in our heart. It is from the Spirit. And by grace, it was received. Epaphras is looking at the hope in heaven. His faith is growing. His love for others is growing. He lives confident that God's hope would be part of his life. And then he lives now bearing fruit. His heart is stirred. His eyes are open. He lives in this truth because there is hope in Jesus. Which leads us to our last point. hopes inspire us to witness for the gospel. Now, remember earlier we talked about verses 4 and 5. He said, You hope, uh, you, uh, you love because of the hope that you have in heaven. But what gives them the boldness to share that love? Paul, again, in another one of his letters, he writes, Since we have such hope, we are very bold. Again, it is the hope boldness to preach, boldness to teach and to witness. Some of you here today, you know inside of you, you have that passion that is stirring and you feel, man, I really want to talk about Jesus. I really want to go into missions to share about God. I really want to serve him. But what is holding you back is the doubt that you could be as passionate as the people that you see serving. And you start wondering, hmm, I'm not sure if I can do it. Look at those people. They're so passionate. I'm not. In that place. Or maybe you are serving, but you're serving a bit out of habit or obligation. My encouragement to you is look at the hope. The hope that is stirred up in heaven. Remember what Jesus did at the cross. Remember that he rose from the dead. Remember who you are now and that you're waiting for his return. Look forward to it. Preach it to yourself. Look at the mirror. Tell yourself. I will tell myself sometimes. Jorge, remember, Jesus died for you at the cross. Don't lose hope. Remember what he did. Remember what you're looking forward to. And pray. Pray that God will open your eyes to see this and be inspired. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians was exactly that. Ephesians 1.18, he says, that you would have the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. In other words, for you. That you would have eyes, the eyes of your hearts, enlightened. Or in other words, open. Open, unveiled to see this hope and understand what is stirring in your heart. This week and last week were particularly difficult for me. And um, I wanted to share a a very um, vulnerable state that I had. And usually I don't do this, but in the last two years I agreed to God that from now on, whatever I struggle with, I'm going to share it with people when I preach or when I share my testimony. Because I think that uh, it is important for people to know that even someone who is preaching the word of God can have moments of weakness and can remember then and be encouraged by the word of God and I, wanna, I want to share this with you because some of you may be going through the same thing and you think oh nobody else is look at those people that are singing on stage they're great they're, they have no problems or the pastor never has any weakness that's not true okay uh, to the, even tell you the truth and this is not you know praise to God only not to myself pretty much every time I'm about to preach a passage God leads me through that valley of the shadows he shows me how it is and this time was really bad, to the point that I almost didn't want to come and preach. And so what I was really struggling with this past week is this. And you don't, you don't have to feel pity for me or anything. Don't worry about that. But I, I was struggling in the last two weeks because I was thinking, New Year, new hope, right? New Year, we're looking up the new things that are coming. And I'm taking the inventory of my life and saying, okay, out of the job for six months, no income. We quit the job. Okay, we quit the job because, you know, you know, we talked about it with Emily. I quit my job at the office last year. I was taking a break from ministry, and I quit that job because I felt God was calling me into ministry. And I thought, okay, God, you're calling me into ministry, so you're going to prepare something soon. But it's been six months, right? And I'm still in talks with some people, which is great. I know it's coming. But I was thinking about that. I was thinking, no job, no work, no, no, no income. And then, in the news, and some of you know this, they show that Vancouver's housing prices keep on going up. Right? Like, oh dear, we surpassed the million dollar house, like all the houses are million dollars now. And I'm thinking, what about me? I'm a pastor, I don't make tons of money, and You know what? I will never be able to catch up because it's not like one day or one day or some a lump sum of money is gonna fall into me and church is gonna say, "Hey, we're gonna give you a year-end bonus." That never happens, okay? You're a pastor. That never happens. You don't do it for the for the money. You do it for the word of God. I'm thinking all these houses. The prices are increasing so fast that no matter how long I work, it's not gonna happen. I'm not gonna save enough. Either that or I'm going to spend the rest of my life paying for a house. We're never going to go into any vacation anymore. We're never going to do anything else anymore because I'm going to have to pay for the house. I was thinking, I don't want to leave that to my family, to my kids, to my wife. I don't want them to have to do all this stuff for me and suffer with me. And I was thinking, but what? There's no other way to do this. Like, I don't see any hope. And I started going in that trajectory, and I started thinking, there is no hope. There is no hope. And I'm thinking, why? God, you call me to this, and I see no hope. Are you kidding me? What about when we talked about earlier, the expectation that God would bless, provide, and all those things? What about that? And I was going in this path, very dark place, and he says to me, in John 14, verse 1, you don't have it here, but I'll read it for you. He says this, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. So this is Jesus talking to the disciples. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Wow. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to, for myself. That where I am, uh, That where I am with you may also be, may be also, and you know where I'm going. And I was speechless. I may not have a home in this world. I may not never own a physical home in this world. But God is already preparing. Jesus is already preparing that house for me. I'm going to be living with him. You understand? So the, the, the disappointment of the hopes that I have in this world are nothing compared to what God, that bigger hope that God will return and take me into his house. I didn't have hope until I anchored my life into the bigger hope, which is Jesus Christ. Don't let your, your hope in Christ dwindle. Don't let the hopes of this world, the temporary things, the small things, take away the bigger hope in Jesus Christ. We need to live faithfully here, but we need to live with a greater expectation in the world to come maybe you feel hopeless today because of other things maybe you're in a marriage and you don't talk about this to anyone but you're really uh don't you don't have that same love or connection with your wife or your husband that you had before and things are getting worse and you feel that it's hopeless or maybe you feel that that, you know, you, you want to get married and you don't see a suitable partner or anyone and you're like, that's hopeless. You know, I going to be alone for the rest of my life. Or you're thinking, you know, you know my friends will never change. They'll always treat me the same way uh, and they, they'll, 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 they'll always be mean to me. Or you're wanting to start a family and to have a baby and you're trying really hard. Don't get tied down by this hope. Look at the greater hope in Jesus Christ. Today I want to end by giving you five things. And I want you to, as I'm giving them to you, to think about them in your life. What does it look like to live for looking? What does it look like to, to live the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? What does it look like to live in this hope? First of all, it looks like this. Change your perspective. Change your perspective. Don't let the small hope take, be bigger than the hope that we have in Jesus. Don't be cast down. Don't be sad because of them. You can take a moment to be sad, but don't let your life be ruined because of them. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, But not driven to despair persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed because of the hope that we have in jesus second look forward to jesus make jesus your goal not this world look at him live here faithfully but look at him three be led by the spirit that's the hardest part of all it's not easy but you know what the secret is to be led by the spirit live hopeless in this world live hopeless in this world so that you'll live that bigger hope in Jesus when you are completely surrendered and you truly say I don't know what else to do God if you call me if you are blessing me Father if you're part of my life you need to take hold of this the Spirit will start leading you because you are completely surrendered to Him number four be inspired by the hope be inspired. Remember, it's going to happen. The cross already happened. Jesus already raised from the dead. He already ascended and we're just waiting. Be inspired by this hope. And finally, share your hope. Share your hope. Hebrews six eleven says this, and we desire, and this is Paul's prayer for his people, or, or the writer's prayer for the people, and we desire that each of you, you sh- to show the same earnest earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the very end. In other words, let's live a quality of hope to show other people the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's live it out for the world to see. Let's live it out for this city, for your friends. It doesn't mean that you have to be happy and energetic all the time and always positive it means show the reality of your life at moments you will suffer but show them that you will get out of that suffering because of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ and so I want to ask you this as we end today if you could stand with me we're going to pray together and as I'm praying these verses I want you to see these verses again in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 18. I want to encourage you with these verses and I want and I, and I hope that this would be the prayer for you this week as well. Father Lord Jesus, I pray for your presence in us. I pray that you stir up the hope that you have for us Lord Jesus that is laid up in heaven. Holy Spirit, help us remember that Jesus died on the cross for us and help us understand why he rose from the dead, Lord Jesus. Help us see our future in you, the bigger hope, not the hopes of this world. Father, help us focus on you and you alone, Lord Jesus, because nothing that can happen here, nothing that can happen here would ever be greater than what is happening in your kingdom. And we will be part of your kingdom, Lord. So we pray, Lord, stir up our hearts, encourage us, let us feel your presence, Lord Jesus, and let us start living the hope that we have in you. Let the city know, Father, we hope in you because you are real, you are certain, your hope is assured, and what they have, Lord Jesus, is is not certain. They need you, and so Father, help us be encouraged like Epaphras and give our life sacrificial into your ministry and not be afraid because at the end of the day, Father, you are the one who's bringing them to you. You are the one who's preaching the gospel in their hearts. And so, Father, we all pray together today, as Paul said in Ephesians 1:18, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, would be open, would be unveiled, to know what is the hope that you have placed in our hearts and what is the hope that you have called us to. What are the riches of the glorious inheritance that we have in you in heaven? And remember that, Lord Jesus, because you are coming back. You are our hope. And we love you. Today, some of you, maybe I I, I mentioned earlier um, you're, you're you're having some challenges in your life, and you feel hopeless, or you feel that there's no solution. You don't know what else to do. Or maybe today you are stirred up for ministry, but you don't have you don't sense you have that passion yet to step out in faith. If you're that person, uh, I I ask that before you leave today you'll pray with somebody but right now if you're that person I want to pray for you Lord Jesus Lord Jesus be be that hope and I know Lord that it's hard to see when we are cast down and we feel that it's hopeless Father help us not be distracted and look for hope in other places solution in other people but help those who are going through these challenges find their hope in you. Lord, be that light that they follow. Be that hope that they live for. And Father, I pray that they don't suffer in this sense of hopelessness by themselves. That the rest of us will sense it from your Holy Spirit and we can walk up to them and say, I'm going to pray for you because I know, Lord Jesus, that he needs you. And so today I pray that all our hearts will be stirred, that we will be ministering to each other, Lord Jesus. And we remember, Father, all of us, we're living out of this hope in you. So we leave those people in your hands, Father. You said we cast our anxieties upon you. You make our burdens light. So let us hope and look toward you. Thank you, Father, in your name, Jesus.